This is going to be a super, super fun series. Welcome to Wonder Women. Um, please make sure that you're with us for the entire four-week journey. Don't miss anything because all the conversations are going to be life-changing. It's not. We are going to look at uh, powerful, um, somewhat famous, maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't. They are famous, but you may have not have heard of them. Women in the Bible. So if you're new with us or even if you're logged in checking us out, I want you to understand something. Here at Epic, um, we believe and know that the Bible teaches to value women of influence and women in leadership. The Bible says that those who are in Christ, there is no difference. There's no longer male, female, slave or free, Gentile or Jew. It also says if anybody has the gift of leadership, let them lead. We do teach here creative order where inside uh, the church and inside marriage, um, the man is the head of the household, and he submits to Jesus. And, and then the wife, I know this is hard for us, this is not a on journey, but the wife submits to the husband as she submits to God. And the husband then has the responsibility to love the wife as Christ loved the church. Those are two huge calls. But we never finish out that teaching in Ephesians 5 where it also admonishes or teaches or encourages us to submit, therefore, to one another in that marriage union, meaning... Um, how many married people in here? Raise your hand. <clears throat> awesome, awesome, awesome. Meaning that, yes, men, you are the head of the home, but God has given you a very, very powerful helpmate to help you ensure that you operate in wisdom and your authority and that you make very wise decisions. And so what I found in my life that when I listen to Benet, because she has something called discernment, uh, well, maybe we'll do a series on how that works. When I listen to Benet, I limit my exposure to dumb stuff. How many married guys know that? Okay. So I just want you to know right up front, we're teaching women of the Bible. We're all going to learn something regardless of uh, where we're at on the spiritual journey, whether we're married, single, single again, married again. Um, doesn't matter. Um, we're going to look at super, super important people and what they knew. Next week, I'm to say next week. We're going to look at an unnamed woman. Um, this is a woman that Jesus heals. She's been bent over or crippled her whole life. And there's some super, super practical things that we can learn from what she experienced when she encountered Jesus and what he released her to do um, in the earth. And then week three happens to be Father's Day. And some people are like, why are we doing Women of the Bible and Father's Day is right in the middle? Because we're going to look at a woman who is unnamed again, and sometimes some of the most powerful women in Scripture are the ones that God saw fit not even to mention their name because their fame far outlast even giving them a name. So who would that be? Noah's wife. I don't know if you know this, but Noah was married because he had some kids, and he built a boat. Have you ever heard the story of Noah and the boat? Oh, it's going to flood. Okay, so here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to explore what was it about Noah that caused his wife to trust him? Think about that just for a second. He's building an apparatus that's never been built before. Nobody has ever seen. He's telling her, he's hearing from God, it's going to rain, going to flood the world, and we're going to put two of every kind of animal on this boat, and we're going to live on it how long till God says we're going to get off of it. Like, what inside Noah did his wife see that caused her to trust him and follow him on that boat and support him in what would look like a really, really ridiculous goal-setting adventure in the life of a man. How many men in here ever set ridiculous goals and your wife went, okay? Okay, so if you didn't raise your hand, there's a reason she didn't say okay. <laughs> You're going to want to be here for week three so we can learn how to make her feel safe and secure and follow you wherever the voice of God leads you. And then the last week, we're going to talk about Eve. Everybody say Eve. Eve. How many of you heard of her? Have you heard of Eve? 
few of you, awesome. Okay, so Adam and Eve, we're going to look at and um, really understand what was her responsibility. What can we learn from the very first woman? We feel like that's a pretty famous and powerful and influential woman um, inside of eternity. So we're going to look at a story of her and, and how she, she made some decisions and Adam was there and didn't make some decisions and what can we all learn from the life of Eve. Very, very powerful, powerful series. But in this particular conversation, today's already given away, we're going to look at a woman named Zipporah. But before I can do that, I have to give you a backdrop of her husband just so you can understand how powerful and influential she really is. And the decision she made um, was probably very unpopular. Um, he probably, while he appreciated it, he may not have appreciated it at first. And we're going to learn some things from her and the way and the way she, she made a decision but it doesn't matter if you're married or not again there are also people in our lives that see these things about us and can make that decision so we're going to start in the book of exodus i'm going to say exodus it's called the old testament so we're going to go way back to the book of exodus we're going to start in exodus chapter 2 so if you have your bibles go ahead and turn there if you have a phone an ipad or something you can beam that up um, some of it will be on the screen some of it won't because what i'm going to do I'm going to paraphrase. I'm not going to make any assumptions today. How many know what assuming does? Okay. I'm going to make any assumptions today because I don't want to make something out of me or something out of you that we don't like. So I'm going to go through this just to understand that probably a lot of us may or may not know all about Moses and how he got started. And I mean, we know probably Ten Commandments and we watched, you know, the movie with Charleston Heston a long time ago and why did he talk British because Moses wasn't British. I mean, I got all that. But we're going to, you ever wonder? It's like, it's like, okay, so we're going to go through all that. But I'm going to tell the story of his life so that you can see when he meets his wife and how this begins to play out. So we're going to begin in Exodus chapter 2. Moses is a kid born into a Hebrew family, and they're going to try to kill him. So his mom does what she thinks is best to save him, puts him in a reed basket, sends him down the Nile River, which is in Egypt. And lo and behold, Pharaoh's daughter sees the baby, falls in love with the baby, adopts the baby, and raises him as an Egyptian. By verse 11 in chapter 2, we discover that Moses has grown up as an Egyptian, dressed, talked, spoke, everything as an Egyptian, but discovers he's actually Hebrew. So he lives in this identity conflict all the time, and he's watching what he knows now to be his people be treated as slaves. And the Bible says he goes out one day, and this Egyptian soldier is beating a Hebrew, and he intervenes into this bullying situation, and he beats the Egyptian soldier to death. He kills him, and he, the Bible says he actually hides him in the sand to try to cover it up, hope the word doesn't get out. Does the word always get out? Okay, so the, so the word gets out, some, some Hebrews, like he comes out and he tries to like talk to them and say, hey, don't y'all be quarreling. They're like, hey, who do you think you are? You live in, in the Egyptian palace, blah, 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 blah. What you gonna do, kill us like you killed the Egyptian, the Egyptian soldier? And he's like, oh, snap, everybody knows. I didn't think anybody knew. How, how many of you ever like, had a secret and like everybody knew and you thought nobody knew? Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? It's called Facebook. Anyway, so, <laughs> so, so he decides, okay, well, I got a, I got a jet because now Pharaoh's trying to kill me. And he goes to this, this area called um, Midian. When he gets to Midian, I guess he's thirsty. The Bible doesn't say, but he sets down at a well. So Moses has born Hebrew, raised Egyptian, identity crisis. His identity comes into conflict when he kills an Egyptian soldier who he's lived with. 
after beating a Hebrew. He flees from that conflict, finds himself in a foreign land called Midian. Now he's set down at a well. We pick up in Exodus 2, 16. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up, came to their rescue, and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, also known as Jethro, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian. If I say Egyptian. Super important because what they see helping them, they would assume is an Egyptian based on probably language, dress, the way he acts and all those things. However, he is Hebrew. An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. So this week's Wonder Woman is Zipporah, the wife of Moses. So you got to understand the little, the little love story, the little notebook environment that's going down at the well. Okay, how many of you like good love story? All the girls in here, raise, all the women, raise your hand because that's what you try to talk your man into watching. Well, the Bible's pretty cool. It paints a picture of this unbelievable love story. So Moses has this gift. He's, he's not down with bullying. Okay? He's, he's, he's going to engage that conflict anytime it happens. I'm not advocating that any man should ever kill an Egyptian soldier. However, in this particular instance, there's a group of ladies who are getting mistreated by a group of men when they're trying to get something done that they need to get done. Moses is not down with that. He intervenes. Every guy, raise your hand in here. We don't, we're not afforded the opportunity as men to sit by and watch something happen that's a bullying situation. If you're ever in a mall, a gas station, Walmart, I don't care where you're at, and you see a woman falling um, to the hands of an abuser or a bully, it is our job to intervene in that moment. Like, no questions asked. I don't want to debate over, well, what if I get in trouble? Then you got in trouble for a worthy cause. Go and make sure that a woman's not being hurt. If I say amen. If you have an issue with that, email Benet at epicchurch.tv. She'd be glad to talk to you. Okay, so <laughs> I'm just telling you, she would. You think I'm bad. Okay, so anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm not really. Anyway, so what I want you to do is I want you to see this. <clears throat> the, Zipporah and her six sisters are there trying to get water, and this guy rolls up, and he runs all the bullies off. How many ladies in here ever saw a pretty strong man, and you were like, oh, look at them arms? How many ever... Look at that six-pack. Or what, like you were on the beach and you noticed a guy. How many, ever been, how many ladies have ever been on a beach or at a club you shouldn't have and you noticed some dude? <laughs> You're not going to raise your hand on that one. you like, beach, club, never. Okay, whatever. All right, so, so like, like she notices Moses. Why? Because Moses comes in, saves the day, takes care of her, not only fends off her would-be attackers or bullies, but he also waters um, her, their father's flock for them. Like he serves them and protects them. How many ladies know that fires you up? Like there's a guy serving and protecting me. So she begins to fall in, fall in love, or at least she's a little bit infatuated. And what's cool is I am almost certain, because we get the rest of the story, Moses marries this lady. What you don't understand is this lady, Zipporah, is super fine. I'm just telling you. I don't know why the Bible points this stuff out. It just does. If you're married, look at your wife and say, you fine, girl. You're missing an opportunity, gentlemen. I'm just telling you, there's some of y'all laughing, looking at me. You shouldn't look at me and say it. You should look at the person. So I don't want you to tell me I'm fine. Okay, she can and she does. But okay, so one more time, look, lies, look at your wife, say, you fine girl. Okay, 
How, how do we know that Zipporah is fine? Because her name literally means, in the original language, beautiful. Like, that's what her name means. Like, Jethro had a daughter so pretty, he could not think of a name other than beautiful. You got a pretty mouth. I don't know, but... I mean, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, she is so, she's so pretty that that's what her name means. So I know most, maybe that was Moses' reason for intervening. He, intervening. he saw her and was like, that girl is pretty. How many guys in here ever had somebody, you better raise your hand if you're married. So it's, how many ever got, you looked at a girl and was like, that girl's fine. How many ever seen somebody so fine make you get ugly? <laughs> that girl's fine. How many have done that? Like, how many guys know where is somebody, like, if you married, raise your hand. Like, I'm helping you. Like, you so fine made you ugly. Like, this, this is the notebook moment in Moses' life. This is a love story. They met at the well. He steps in, provides, protects, serves, does all this stuff. Zipporah's like, good girls, look at that man. And he's like, you are so fine, girl. I'm going to water your camel. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so this is happening. <laughs> this is this is happening. Listen, read the Bible. And like, if you're new to the Bible study, you're like, that ain't in there. No, it's in there. I'm telling you, that's what's happening. And, and so then we jump to Exodus chapter three, and this is the moment where, where Moses gets the call from God inside the burning bush, like the bush is burning, but it's not burning up. And God has a conversation with him. He's calling him to his destiny. He's finding out why he was raised the way he was and what he has for him in his future. And if you, if you don't know much about Exodus chapter 3, let me just tell you this. It's, it's an argument between Moses and God. It's not like Moses is fired up about this. He's, he's telling God, listen, don't pick me. I have a, a speech problem. Most theologians and historians believe he had a stuttering problem, which I go back to the whale situation. How many of you know it's the men that don't say much you got to worry about? How many of you ever messed with the quiet guy? And, and regretted it real bad. Like, if, if, you're, if you're new, like, if you're in here and you're young, just listen to the 44-year-old guy. Don't ever mess with the dude that ain't said much. So just go back to the well, the well, Moses at the well. Moses sat down at the well. He ain't said a word. And he's already got a stuttering problem. So I'm sure he didn't go, hey, 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 guy, guy, guy. <laughs> Guys, stop messing with the girl. I don't think he did that. You know what I think he did? I think he stood up, walked over, punched one of them in the mouth, and went. <laughs> and they all just left, and, and the ladies fell in love with him, and it was awesome. So, so he's arguing with God, I can't do this, I don't, like, pick somebody else. And, and God's talking him into um, accepting this, this call and this destiny on his life. How many of you have just ever wrestled with and tried to deny the call and the destiny that God has on your life, but thank God he doesn't leave you alone? Like he keeps talking to you, he keeps calling you, he keeps having conversations with you, and you just want God to be quiet. God loves you too much to be quiet because there's not, it's not only about you, it's about the people you've yet to meet that need you to step into your destiny. So that's what happens in, in, in um, Exodus chapter 3. And so Moses reluctantly accepts it, and then we pick up in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. <clears throat> I want to pause right here and just get you to understand from the progression of Exodus chapter 2 to Exodus chapter 4, the ladies see him at the well and they go, this Egyptian helps us. They fall in love. Jethro gives 
um, Zipporah to Moses to be married because Jethro has no idea that Moses is Hebrew. He would assume he's Egyptian. This will make sense as we go on. And so somewhere, somewhere, Moses' secret got out. All of us ride this fence and we have hidden secrets, but let me just tell you, they, they, always, they always come out. And I'm not being crude, and I'm not, and I'm, but I want you to understand something. When do you think Zipporah would have found out that Moses is Hebrew? Let's see how many Sunday school people we have in here. Some of you are getting it. I'm seeing you going, ha, 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 ha. Okay, it's okay, it's okay. When do you think? Because he hasn't said. He's let them fall in the assumption, I'm Egyptian. Well, when, when is that going to come to the surface, so to speak? Everybody say wedding night. Like wedding night happens and Zipporah's like, well, that's different. I don't really, we need to have a conversation. I don't, you forgot to tell me something. And so now he's exposed on the fact that I'm not who I pretended and made myself out to be. Actually, I'm Hebrew. And so they have this awkwardness. They have to have this conversation. Now he's stuck in this identity conflict, raised an Egyptian, put myself off as Egyptian. Well, now I've been found out I'm, I'm, I'm really a Hebrew, and my father-in-law is a Midianite priest. I've married this foreign girl that's not really of my people because I don't know who I am. I'm not really sure who my people are. I'm stuck in this weird place. And so Jethro says, go, go back to your people. I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. He took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then Pharaoh said, or then say this to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Anybody ever read the Bible and there's something stuck in the middle of a story and you go, why the heck is that? That don't even make any sense. Anybody ever done that? If you're new to Bible reading, this is going to happen. You're going to be reading something. And what's What's vitally important is that when that happens, you need to know and I need to know God is pausing and putting a paragraph in there that sticks out for a reason. He wants us to understand something not only about Moses and Zipporah's journey, but also about ours. That he wants to speak to us deeply and profoundly what it means to really live our destiny. So Zipporah and Moses are married to have two kids. Their kids' names are Gershom. Gershom is the oldest son, and Eliezer, and he's the, he's the youngest of the two. And so they're on this journey, and we're reading this story about all this dialogue of how, how God has chosen and talked Moses in and invited him to this great destiny to free the Israelites from the, the dominance of Egypt, to take them to ultimately the promised land and do, like be the most 
the most powerful leader in all the world, you're going to have to confront the most powerful leader in all the world, which is Pharaoh. And in the middle of that dialogue, there's this, verse 24, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Does that look weird to anybody but me? Like, are we like, well, now, wait a minute. You, you talked him into this, and now you're going to kill him. And, but then it says, but Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, <laughs> touched Moses' feet with it, and then everything was okay. Uh, so I can hear somebody laughing like I, so I'm like, like I really, I literally read it. I'm like, this just don't even make no sense. Why are we, what is this about? I mean, this is, and the truth is this one paragraph has been super confusing to theologian and historians for like forever. This is one of the most argued over paragraphs in the whole Bible. I'm going to do the best I can to bring 200 years of argument with some simplicity. Now, I'm not saying because I'm super smart and I got it all figured out. There's about three interpretations, give or take solid ones, three interpretations of this paragraph. I'm going to give you one today, and it's the one that I think fits the best according to Exodus chapter 2 all the way through Moses, Moses living his destiny. Not just looking at this paragraph and trying to figure out, because this is where people make a mistake in Bible study. They pull one line out and go, oh, that's what that meant. No, no, no. There is a story that's happening. There is a story that God is writing inside of Moses' life to accomplish a bigger picture destiny than we can even imagine, or at least he can imagine. We can see it now, but he had no idea. So when this paragraph is in there, and we look at it and go, why would God kill Moses over this circumcision thing because he didn't circumcise, you know, Gershom. I, I don't even understand why that's in there. It's probably because in Western Christianity, that's us, we're missing something. That there's something bigger going on here than we give credit to. I highly recommend, I've been to Israel twice now, and one of the greatest gifts I've given myself in Bible study is to talk to the people who eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff, which is the Jewish people. The first five books of the Bible is their books. They understand it. They know it because there's cultural significance all the time. And so I have a relationship with rabbis. If you're wondering what that is, that's Jewish teachers of the Torah. That's what they call that. And they also have seen fit to give me access to where they write commentaries or they write studies about what's going on in the Old Testament. So I'm going to kind of submit to you. This is not where I'm going. This is absolutely what this means. I'm just saying based on research and study, this is one interpretation of this that makes a little more sense if you look at the whole story. There's another person that we've not mentioned that's inside of this story making this trip. There's another him. Not Moses, but there's another him. His name is Gershom. It's Moses' older son. The reason that... Moses names this kid Gershom is to make a statement because I'm a foreigner in a strange land. And I'm going to quote Rabbi Yishmael. It's a study of this text and, and they've pieced it all together. And there is a deal that would have happened or did happen inside of this marriage um, that's going down between um, Moses and Jethro. Um, in that time, nobody got married without giving something or promising something. That's just how it was. Like, even in Africa today, if you want to marry somebody, it's like 20 cows, okay? Um, I don't really know how that works, but I, I hear 20 cows is a lot. So when I go, they all, this is true, they always ask, I would like to marry Ella. And I'm like, 50 cows, man. <laughs> 50 cows. And they go, 
because 50 cows is unheard. Like they're like, I'll never get 50 cows. And I'm like, I know. But she's a 50 cow girl, so just go away. All right, so, so, so inside of that, if you ever go to Africa, it works. You got a pretty daughter, just go 100 cows. I'm sorry, man. I don't, okay. They just walk away so disappointed and broken, it's great. Um, so probably not the right motive, but I'm a dad. Amen? Okay, so, so inside of this culture, there was a deal that went down. So they write this. This is Rabbi Yishmael. When Moses asked Jethro to marry Zipporah, Jethro cut a deal and said, if you accept on one condition, then I will let you marry her. What is the condition, Moses replied? The first son that you have shall be dedicated to my God or idolatry. Any other sons you have can be dedicated to your God in your heavenly name. And Moses accepted this deal. Now, just by me implying that, there are people all over this room, and I'm sure some that logged in are going, no, 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 wait, wait a minute, that's not in the Bible. It's not like, how, do you, how are you coming to that? This is, this is a Jewish traditional writing commentary on making sense of a paragraph that doesn't make sense based on everything that happened and what would happen in cultural significance. Just by making that, our assumptions of who Moses was at the time starts to be broken down. Because we go, no, no, man, Moses is the Hebrew hero. I mean, he's, he's stepping into bullying. He, he led the people. He would never, under any circumstances, be so easily corrupted as to dedicate his first kid to idolatry. Yeah, but his first kid, his oldest kid, is not circumcised. Circumcision was saying... I give this child not only to God, but I bring him into God's covenant and God's people. And that's an outrageous claim, except that when you piece together all the information that we fail to look at. His father-in-law, Jethro, was a Midianite priest. He was not an Israelite, a Hebrew priest. He was not a Yahweh or one true God-fearing priest. He was, he was a priest of an idol, of a false god. Was, so what? He had some serious religious um, dedication to something outside of the, the covenant that God made with Abraham. So it would make sense for this priest to say, oh, you can have my daughter on this condition. And then we understand, again, Gershom is a name that means something that doesn't make a lot of sense. It means he was not in, he was not in that land. So could it be that it's, it's Moses' way of confessing that he wasn't giving this, this kid to God? Because I want you to just think about this for a second. So those are some past details. Think about some moving forward details. Moses is being chosen by God to go and confront, go to war with the, the heaviest and most violent dictator the world had ever seen at that time. And he's going to go, and he can't go in this half-hearted place where I'm not really sure who I am or who are my people, and I have one son dedicated to God and one son not dedicated to God because I'm kind of part Egyptian and I'm kind of part Israelite, and I don't really know where I'm going to stand. So here's what I'll do. I'll ride the fence on both, hoping that it all works out. And what God knew and God saw happening was Pharaoh would actually bring these questions up. It's why he said, the last thing that God says to Moses before he leaves is this. Thus says the Lord of Israel, Israel, my first Israel is my firstborn child. I have said to you, let my firstborn go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. God's pointing ahead of the last plague that will happen when Moses goes, the killing of the firstborn all over the nation that will finally break through. But to think, everybody say think. 
But to think in the midst of all this painful conflict that the guy who is delivering the nation of Israel can somehow hold back his own firstborn son dedicated to the same evil idolatry as Pharaoh represents and worships would be an insult to God and what he's about and who he is. I mean, he's going to announce to the entire nation, everybody's going to lose their firstborn son because you're not choosing God and his ways would would not really be cool. So God is in this place and he's like, oh, no says I on that whole deal. We're not, we're not doing that. You, you can't say one thing and do another. Like you can't ride both sides of the fence, Moses. If you're willing to go to war, then you have to be willing to make sacrifices. And Moses was not willing to make a sacrifice. He wanted to play both sides of the fence. And he was willing to advance God's kingdom out here, but he was unwilling to advance God's kingdom in here. Every one of us in this room have a destiny that God has created you to live. And the reason we forfeit that destiny is not because we lack the talent or the gifting, it's because we lack the commitment to God it takes to live that destiny. If you want to advance what God has called you to advance, don't worry about out here until you're willing to advance what's in here. And this is what he was trying to get Moses to see. He was forcing him to answer two questions that Moses really needed to answer one time, once and for all. Moses, who are you really? What do you choose? And really, who are your people? Because Pharaoh's going to ask him that question. And I quote, Pharaoh will say this. His enemy will question, who is the Lord that I should heed him? As if Moses would know. And he would also ask him, who are your people that I should let them go? So Moses has to answer those questions. And honestly, you're in here today, you're logged in today, you have to answer those questions before you can live your destiny. You have to know who your people are. But you can't know who your people are until you know who you are. And so if you're going to live your destiny, all eyes on me just for a few more minutes, if you're going to live your destiny, everybody can't be your people. It doesn't mean you don't have influence. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you reach out. But they can't be your dogs. They can't be your sisters. They can't be your bros. They can't be your posse. They can't be the ones that I hang with, chill with, move with. How many have some people you roll with? Like I've hit every generation in your dialogue that you use to identify your peeps. Right? So, so okay, if you are saying to yourself right now, I just can't seem to step into, then here's why. Because you probably are with the wrong people. Moses had to answer that question. And Zipporah knew it. Zipporah saw it. Zipporah was married to him. And she did the thing that Moses wouldn't do. And it's not sacrifice. It's not, it's not about circumcision, but it is about circumcision. Here's what it's about. Choose. Zipporah made a choice for him because he was scared to. Zipporah said, I'll choose if you want because I'm not going to let my oldest son die because of your indecision. Like there's so many people in here who think not making a decision is, a, is like okay. Indecision is one of those decisions that will kill you. How many of you, how many of you ever seen a squirrel? <laughs> how many know what a squirrel is? Come on, you live in Alabama. Y'all not raising your hand. Not, I know I hadn't lost you. This has been pretty exciting. Okay. How, like, if you're going down the road and you're coming, especially where I live, I live in Hickory Hills and there's squirrels everywhere. Well, there's less every day because I see ones in the, in the road. <laughs> you ever notice what a squirrel does when the car gets close? Like, that cat can't make a decision to save his life. He's like... 
He's just, like, he runs the one side. That's not good. Like, I don't really, what are you, like, I slowed up. What are you, and I'm screaming. I literally, I've done this. What are you doing? Get out the road. Like, just, I just want to tell the, I want to come out and have a little squirrel counseling session. Look, man, just make a flipping decision. Choose right or left, but don't stay in the dang middle because look at your buddies. Like, there's little squirrel flat things all over the road, dude. Like, wake up. Like, just choose. And I, we're all squirrels. Think about it. We're so afraid. I guess the squirrel's afraid he's going to miss something. Like, are there more nuts on this side? I don't like, what do I do? Just pick. So here's what I would tell you. Pick. Like, just choose. I've had, I've had to do this in myself. This is not preacher, like, you're all squirrels. No, I'm a squirrel too. Like, there are times I come to things in life and I'm like, I don't, I, I don't, and God's just like, just choose. Because if you stay in the middle, you're going to get killed. And that's what Zipporah knew. And that's what she came after, not the circumcision, but she came after Moses to say, listen, we can't live our destiny as a couple, as moving forward, delivering the nation. Like, you told me all this great stuff, and we're going to do greatness, but we're on the road, stuck in the middle, and we're about to get run over. Moses, we got to choose. I got to choose. You got to choose. There were three things that Zipporah saw that we need to be challenged with today. And if you're married, look at me, if you're married, your wife sees these. If you're not married, you have what I like to call family of choice that sees these. What does that mean? People that believe what you believe, value what you value, that you do life with, your posse, your dogs, your whatever. They see this in you. The problem is, is you've taught them not to speak to you about those things because you think you're okay. And if we don't humble ourselves and receive advice, we're going to get in the middle of the road and get run over someday. So, so what is it? What is it that Zipporah does and sees? Number one, she knows and she deals with the fact that God desires all or nothing. God's not a halfway God. God's not okay. Check this, with 99% of you, he's only okay with 100. Let me read the scripture to you, Exodus 34, 14. For you shall not worship any other God for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Okay, Sunday school test. Who says that? Who? It starts with the name, starts with the M. It's up here in the front. All the front rows answering it, all the back rows like, I can't hear you. Everybody say Moses. You know what's cool about this? Moses gets to say this after he experienced it. I love, you know who I like getting advice from? People who've experienced what they're telling me. God knew Moses was going to declare some things to the nation of Israel about the law and how this is going to work and what's best for you. And he's going to come down off the mountain with the two tablets. He's going to say the thing. But he knew he couldn't say it with any authority or any confidence until he had experienced it. Do you think Moses really knew about a jealous God after the little Egypt road thing? How many of you ever got advice from somebody that they're trying to give you advice and they go silent? Because you, like you just can't, you can't really communicate how passionate you are about this. And you're looking at me like I'm crazy. So it looks like this. Like, so you're asking somebody, hey, should I go and do X, Y, Z? And they've been there. And you knew you were seeking wise advice. And they go, no, 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 no. Do not, do not, do not. And then they just go silent. They stop talking. They go. <laughs> Have you ever had somebody do that? Have you ever done that to somebody? Like, stop, stop, no, 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 no. 
Like you can't even say nothing because it's so passionate. I've, I do this all the time. I like reading the Bible and I envision. I just envision Moses after he broke the first 10 because he was upset, but he went and got the second 10. He came down and he said, listen here, guys, do not, do not, don't, 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 don't. Because he stuttered anyway. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't. Worship any other God than the God of Israel because he is super jealous. You know how I know? I didn't get a t-shirt, but I was on the road to Egypt one day. I mean, he came down and visited me and said, look here, I'm going to jack some stuff up because you can't move forward because you you squirreling it, man. You're in the middle of the road. You can't choose, and you're going to die, and the people that you're trying to deliver are going to die. Like, I need you to sell out. God is for real jealous, but not in a bad way, in a way that he loves us so much that he interrupts time to step into Moses' environment to say, You can't move forward as long as you're in the middle of the road. You've got to choose. But just make sure that you choose me. Because, everybody write this phrase down, loyalty is royalty. You're like, what does that mean? Oh, it totally means if I embrace Jesus as my forgiver and leader, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus, and now I'm a son of the living God. I have royalty flowing through my veins, but I'll never realize it until I'm loyal to my king. And it can't be a little bit. Loyalty breeds royalty. If you want to know why am I stalemating, why am I not moving forward, it's because you're not sold out 100 to who God is and who he says you are. If you'll do that, if you'll just choose, man, your life will be ridiculous. And then the second thing that Zipporah knew is this, and we know this, when we compartmentalize our lives, Everyone loses. When we compartmentalize our lives, everyone loses. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. James 1, 8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What does that mean? You can't be somebody on Friday that you're not on Sunday. You can't have the attitude that, well, you don't understand my business. You don't understand where I work at, and I have to function a certain way to get it done because if I take on Christian values, then I'm, I'm not going to sell as much. I'm not going to knock it down. I'm going to be ridiculed. I'm going to be whatever. But here's what you don't understand. You've compartmentalized your life, and you're Christian when it's convenient. He was Egyptian when it was convenient. He was Hebrew when it was convenient, and he was losing out. Well, so was everybody else. Like there are people waiting on you to just be who you say and post on Facebook that you are. And when you sell out, look here, everybody wins. But when you compartmentalize your life, everybody loses. That's why a double-minded man is unstable, squirreled up in all his ways. He can't decide. It's time to decide. The third final thing How many married couples in here? This is specifically for you. Specifically. I'm going to give you the scripture before I give you the point. Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Number three. Our wives are sent to help the worst in us and bring out the best in us. Every married dude, look at me and pay attention. God sent you a helper suitable for you, and she is designed to help the worst in you, to bring out the best in you. 
Now, if you're in here and you're not married, and you're like, well, where does that leave me? It's like I told you, you have a family of choice. You've been connected to the family of God. What are they supposed to do? Help the worst in you to bring out the best in you. But we can't do that until we're willing to humbly seek advice and listen to the words of those who love us the most. How many guys in here know when you listen to your wife, you didn't jack as much junk up as you could have? It's the truth, right? How many of you know she told you something in a pass-by conversation? That's probably not a good idea. Well, I wouldn't do it. And she, she keeps moving because you've created an environment where you really don't listen to her, or at least she doesn't feel like you do. And you heard that, and you chose to do something anyway, and she has that look when you come back home. How many know the look? It's the Wonder Woman look. <laughs> and, it, and it bothers us, but let me just say this. If you just humble yourself and submit to one another and listen to one another, you wouldn't make near as many mistakes. And what's cool about this whole story is now because Zipporah had the courage to know that God desires all or nothing, to know that we can't compartmentalize our life and be successful, to know that she was sent to help Moses, there's a group of people that's going to be delivered she's never met. She has no idea who the Hebrew people are except apart from she met one. And because she had courage to what we call lead up. Is her husband still the spiritual leader of the home? Absolutely. But she's there with him to walk with him, to encourage him, to, as Benet puts it, to breathe and protect the heart and the lungs, to do all those things, to lead up, to help him. Can I just tell you, if she didn't have the courage to speak up, can I tell you what wouldn't have happened? The nation of Israel would not have been delivered. But because of her courage, because she chose to be a wonder woman, and step into what was her destiny at this time. There's a group of people she gets to encounter and help deliver that she never met. You deciding to do this is not for you. It's for the people you've never met. Because you have a destiny that's far outside the four chairs around you. It's far outside the building that we're in. It's far outside the city that you live in. But you've got to understand this. It's all or nothing. Be who you say you are everywhere, all the time. And you have people in your life that love you desperately, and they want to help the worst in you to reveal the best in you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. I do pray that it was fun to be in your house. Holy Spirit, that you used me to cause your word to be alive, to be painted with color, to see that it's a real person in real time with real struggles. And that because of the destiny on their life, you stepped into their moment in time to help them see the importance to choose you. God, help us see this flesh out in our own practical Monday through Saturday life that we would sell out to you, that there would be no other gods before us except you, the one true God, that we would be who we say we are 24-7, even when it's inconvenient, and that we would understand on this journey in life, it takes help. We can't do it on our own, and you placed us inside relationships with you and with others to help us 
live out the life you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, everybody said